have a little bit of a shorter night tonight, guys. I just want to share a few things on my heart. I have no notes, so don't look up there. You can look here unless Dina does her magic in the middle of it and put something up there. All the way at the end of the book of Acts, guys, could you go there with me? All the way to the end of the book of Acts in your Bibles. Been uh, studying through Acts for a little while now. Just something just jumped out at me at the very, very, very end. Paul, you remember he's a, uh, a prisoner in Rome under guard. He writes four little letters while he's wasting time in his prison, nothing major, just Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon writes these letters off while he's being held prisoner and being guarded. And he finishes up, uh, the, the book of Acts finishes up with what Paul was doing. It's the, it's the last really we hear about, what, about Paul. Uh, in verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, the very last verse in the book of Acts, he, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about, what do you all have? I've got NIV here I'm reading out of. What, what, what are any other translations? He taught about what? What do you have there? Anybody just shout it out. He, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Does it say he taught? Yeah, he, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, he taught. What do you have there, ESV? Yeah. Yeah, who else? Who has something else? Teaching concerning about Jesus. Who else? Another translation. Yeah, buddy. Preaching the kingdom of God. Teaching about Jesus Christ. With all boldness and without hindrance. Man, I just love that this is the last verse in, in the book of Acts because Acts 29 starts where? With you and me and what happens in our homes, and what happens in our workplaces, and finding people out walking the streets at night. This is what Paul taught. He taught them about, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, yes, but he taught them about the man Christ Jesus. Think of Colossians 1, 28 with me. He is the one we proclaim, Paul says. He is the one, the man Christ Jesus, he's the one we proclaim. Help finish this sentence for me real quick. Jesus himself is the way, the truth, and the life. One more time. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Not the Bible is the way, and the Bible is the truth, and the Bible is the life. Jesus, I love my Bible. I love it, love it, love it. People get all messed up when they think the Bible is God. People think that actually if the Bible is my, is my mode of spirituality or if it's my measure of, of spirituality, then I'm doing good when I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing bad when I'm not. The Bible is the testimony of Jesus Christ. It speaks to the man, Christ Jesus. So important, so important as we're walking out this Christian life. Paul, it says, did not teach them the essential doctrines of the faith, Paul taught them about the man Christ Jesus. You know the WWJD bracelets? Anybody ever heard of that for the last 20 years? 25? You know there's only one letter wrong in that WWJD? Do you know what it is? It's the second one, the W. What would Jesus do? That's not the right letter. It's I. It's the letter I. What is Jesus doing? That's the real thing that belongs on the bracelet. Now, what would Jesus do? Because why? Jesus isn't dead. He is living and active. Where is he living and active? Inside me and you as children of God via the Holy Spirit. 
The book of Acts, the whole point is the book of, of the book of Acts is to see what is Jesus doing via the Holy Spirit on planet Earth. It's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the way, meaning what is the way that I should go in my life? What's the next decision? What's the, what is the right way to go? Tell me the answer according to our Bible. What is the right way? Jesus. That's a funny thing to say. Well, the way is to make the right decision based on my knowledge of the scriptures and it's gonna be moral and it's gonna, yes, all of that. But the way is Jesus in front of me. What is W-I-J-D, what is Jesus doing right now in this moment? What's he doing right now, even tonight in this room? Do you know that we serve a living God? We don't talk about him. We don't talk about him like he's not in the room with us. He's here, yes? Jesus is living and active as the word of God. Sharper than any double-edged sword, the word is Jesus himself is the word. We're proclaiming a man, just like Paul did. We're teaching about a man, Christ Jesus, just like Paul did. Look with me, if you uh, go back just a few verses to verse 23. The Jews in Rome are meeting with Paul on a certain day, and it says he witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and then from the law of Moses and the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. There you go. Two things. Proclaiming the kingdom, explaining the kingdom. He's trying to persuade them about Jesus, and he's teaching them about Jesus. It's the main two things. Jesus and his kingdom. The king and his kingdom. We can get so wrapped up in other things, and the purity and simplicity of devotion belong to who? Christ Jesus. I'm afraid, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, just as, your, just as Eve's mind was deceived, help me finish it, so you too might be led away from pure and simple devotion to the man, Christ Jesus. And I'm afraid for you and for me that just like we're, how was Eve's mind deceived? Remind me, everybody. Was it go do this horrible sin because then you'll find satisfaction in it? No, 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 no. It was a high and lofty thing that she was tempted away to. Did God really say? And actually, this is the best thing for you because it'll actually bring, you'll be like God. It's a very high and lofty thing that she gets drawn away by and it's the same for us. It's the same for us. We talked about strongholds last week. We ministered into that at the very end of the service here. We talked about what is a stronghold. A stronghold is something that raises itself up against the knowledge of Christ Jesus. A stronghold is not something that raises itself up against good doctrine in the scriptures. A stronghold is something that raises itself up against the knowledge of the man, Christ Jesus. See, when we get off the bubble of Jesus, everything gets confusing and everything gets unoily. And so Jesus is saying, I just believe in this, in this hour now, is stay purely and simply devoted to me, the man, Christ Jesus, Anything else will lead you astray, I promise. If it's to your tradition, you'll be led astray. 
if it's to your history in what you know even about prophecy, what you understand about the gifts of the Spirit, it will lead you astray. Pure and simple devotion to Jesus is the bubble we have to stay on. Deception comes because it's deception around Jesus. There are going to be many antichrists that come. In fact, there are already many antichrists in the earth today, the spirit of the antichrist. When it, when it comes to Jesus, it's what separates us from all other religions. We were eating in an Indian restaurant, <clears throat> our favorite one in Kansas City. The guy wears a balloon on his ear and he walks around handing out food. It's the weirdest thing, but it's so good. You just buckle up and eat and it's all good. But there was this chanting going on the entire time for an hour and a half. It was unbelievable. And it was a YouTube video of an Indian man chanting for an hour and a half. Had 12 million, some 24 million views or something like that. And after a while, I'm like, I gotta get out of here. This is annoying. (laughs) What is he saying? What's he doing? No music, but he's just chanting. He's just chanting. So I go up there, I'm looking at the TV as we're walking out and I asked the owner, I said, what is the... What is the guy doing? And he said, oh, it's just like prayers. You know, you pray to God. That's what he's doing. And he said, here. And he hands me a book on the Sikh religion. S-I-H-K, I can't remember what it was. And he said, it's all about driving out uh, unhappiness and letting positivity come in. Like, well, that sounds pretty good. It was actually a pretty positive atmosphere there. But it was really interesting because I read through the booklet. I sat there in our room and I read through what they said in this booklet. And it's all really good stuff. Like, like we're going to be positive. We're going to be focused on doing good for people, cleanliness, hard work, um, like righteous acts, all this amazing stuff. And everything in the booklet was about earning, getting towards God. And so someday at the end, you too can be found, I think reincarnation was what they were going with this. I'm sorry, I'm not an expert on it. I just ate uh, dinner there. But someday you too can become like God if you earn your way towards him. Like, oh, that's it. That's where Jesus gave, where we get off bubble with Jesus. All the good stuff, like 98% good. And then 2%, they just got off with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has earned the way to the Father for us. Amen? And now in him, we are now called the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So all the good works we do and the service that we do for the poor and everything, that's an overflow out of our love for Jesus, not to earn something from this God that we can't see or touch or feel. Oh, Jesus, he separates all other religions, everything else. Anybody that comes knock on your door, anybody you talk to from any other world religion, you know what you can say? I've got a, a cheat for life. This is super easy. You can say, every, you don't have to be an expert like Shem Hatfield. Shem knows everything about all these other, I, I mean, it's, I don't know it nearly as much. But what you can say is this, your religion is all about working towards God. My religion, Christianity, is about God working towards me. God came and did all the work for me. And he died for me and he he now lives in me. Now my response is a love relationship with him. It's not anything I have to earn. That separates everything. Every world religion is separated by Jesus Christ and what he did. Amen? Okay, that was the preamble to what I want to say. Real quick, go uh, go to Acts chapter uh, 26, if you would. Paul, in Acts chapter 26, is sharing his personal testimony. Raise your hand if you have a personal testimony. 
All right, that's, uh, that's nearly 100%. All of us have a personal testimony. I said it when we were singing earlier. All of us at some level were in the darkness. Right, Drew Parrish? We were in the darkness. Some of us deeper in the darkness than others, but all of us were in the darkness and he came crashing through. Praise the Lord. Jesus himself came crashing through the darkness and brought light. We saw and he rescued us. Yes, Praise the Lord. Paul has a personal testimony. It's shared three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 is Luke recounting Paul's testimony. Remember on the road, and he was knocked off his donkey in the light, and, and then Ananias came and spoke over him and all that. The second time is in Acts chapter 22, where he's standing and talking to a crowd of um, a, a, a hateful crowd in Jerusalem. They were wanting to kill him. Um, he, was, he was recounting his testimony to them and saying, this is what happened. The second time Paul recounts a story, which is actually the third time of his story in Acts, is in Acts chapter 26. And he's standing in Caesarea and speaking to a king, King Agrippa. Okay, so Paul's first time, Luke writes his testimony. The second time, Paul's actually speaking his testimony to the mob in Jerusalem. The third time, he's speaking to kings, just like God said he would. He's speaking to King Agrippa. I love this third testimony about Paul because it takes us, I think, deeper than all the other ones do. In all the testimony, he gives the basic version of the story, but this one, he goes deeper and listen to me. This is the deepest that he goes in terms of Jesus talking to him. Paul's personal testimony, I think, is beautiful here. Verse 14 of chapter 26. We all fell to the ground, and I, Paul says, I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hold on, I thought Jesus was in heaven. Why is Jesus being persecuted? Because why? His body is where? You and me, when someone touches us and we feel pain, what does Jesus feel? You better betcha, he feels pain. We are his hands and feet. He is the head. We are the body of Christ. He is living and active. He's living in us, his body. Don't forget that. Why do you persecute me? It's hard, Saul, for you to kick against the goads. Verse 15, then I asked, who are you, Lord? He didn't know him personally and intimately. He knew him far away. Saul says, who are you? Lord. It's good enough for Jesus. He can start with that, a revelation of him being Lord. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Verse 16 of chapter 26. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people, and from the Gentiles. Again, this is Jesus talking to Paul as he's laying on the ground blinded. I am sending you to them, Jesus says, to do this, verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and to turn them from the power of Satan to God. Why? For what, for what end? So that they may receive the forgiveness of sins, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know what I think I do sometimes and we do with the presentation of the gospel? I think we start at number five instead of number one. Because number five says that they get a special place, they get an inheritance in heaven. 
You want to go to heaven? Accept Jesus. And number four is that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't start with those. He didn't start, those are on the bottom actually, interestingly enough. Jesus started with number one. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes. We all understand that, but I think sometimes we forget that. The most important thing I can do for my lost neighbor is not offer them a free gift to heaven. The most important thing I can do is pray for their eyes to be opened. And then with what I say, it comes to them. And it's like Paul, remember he was, Saul was blinded and then those scales fell from his eyes. We've got blind people all around us. To open their eyes and turn them from the darkness and turn them to light. First Corinthians 3 says that whenever one's heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So you have blinded eyes where they can't see anything and then they turn because their heart is softened to the Lord. The veil is taken away. They turn and they see the light. So you have open eyes and you have light that shines in the darkness. And then I love this one, the third one. They turn from the power of Satan to the power of God. The gospel is a power presentation. The gospel is a powerful thing. It's the power of God for those who believe, Romans 1 says. The gospel is a powerful thing. It has nothing to do with a free gift to heaven. That's secondary, third, fourth, fifth down the list. This is about power being released to people in Jesus' name. I want to turn from the power, because they are under the power of Satan, yes, to the power of God. And then they may receive forgiveness of sins. And lastly, number five, a place or a portion or an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you know that our inheritance is together? You don't get a trip to heaven by yourself. You get a trip to heaven with the saints of God. Yes, it's true, but it's better than individual. It's corporate. We have an inheritance together among all of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Take a left with me, if you would, to uh, Acts chapter 20. And, and he says it this way. He's talking to the Ephesian elders and Miletus who came down to visit him. And Paul says... I know that after I leave, and I'm sorry, in verse 32, he says to them, now I commit you believers to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We, uh, we watched a movie uh, just a few days ago, Lizzie and I. No alarm and no kids. We stayed up late and we watched a movie. And in this movie, this multi-million, 100, I don't know, 200 million, whatever he was worth, his inheritance died and the inheritance gets divvied out to all the kids. And they said, now there's the house and there's $60 million in cash, but then the real inheritance is in his publishing rights for his books. That's where the real money is. That's where the real, and, and they do a good job in this movie. They show all the family members and the extended family sitting around and they get all worked up and excited because the will is being read. Who's going to get what? How much am I going to get of this two, three, four hundred million dollar estate? 
And then in this movie, he leaves it to his housekeeper and none of the family gets anything and they freak out. It's kind of a funny, it's a funny moment to watch. They all freak out because the housekeeper, the, the, the nice pure hearted lady that just took care of him for just to take care of him, she gets all of it. This is crazy. And as I was watching that, I was thinking, we should be sitting on the edge of our seats because we're about to come into an unbelievable inheritance. Like we, we don't know how good it's going to be. I've compared it to winning the, the, the Powerball before. I've said this from, from the pulpit. Imagine you won a $500 million Powerball and today's Saturday and you are going to collect on Wednesday. What's your mindset on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday? How are you dealing with fear and anxiety and worry about the future and things that break and your medical bills? It's like, I I am totally good. I've got nothing to worry about. I've got a a lot of money coming in on Wednesday. It's going to be okay. And in the same way, we've got an inheritance that I'm about to tell you in a minute is better than any amount of stinking money could ever compare to. We've got an inheritance that will never spoil or fade or perish, kept for us where? In the heavenly realms. Moth and rust can't destroy, thieves can't break in and steal. What's our inheritance, everybody? Can we take a look at that for just a moment? Who is our inheritance? Go, go to your right with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at a few chapter ones here for us. Ephesians chapter one. Paul talks a lot about this. He was a big believer. Paul didn't get much on this side. In fact, he was beaten and spent most of his life in prisons. But Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Think with me for a minute. A deposit is money. Yes, in real terms, an inheritance is money, right? So when I get a deposit, I am receiving something that's the same as what I'm going to receive, yes? I'm getting a little bit of money in comparison with the lot of bit of money that I'm going to get. Hold on. If that's true, think with me for, if I'm getting part of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit, what or who is my full inheritance? It's God himself. Why is that? Because the very highest and best thing God could give his children is not everlasting life. That's good. It's not heaven with streets of gold. The very highest and best thing God can give anyone is himself. Did you know that? We're co-heirs of the Godhead. Little gods, little G gods, he's made us, the scripture says. We're gonna rule and reign with him. Come on. That's nuts. You can't do drugs that get you that high. That's crazy, guys. Like, we're going to rule and reign with God in the universe forever. It's so big, our little brains can't get wrapped around it. We just need the scriptures to remind us. So look at Colossians chapter one, if you would. Colossians chapter one, verse 12. Let's go back to verse 11. 
And you being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you can have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Why? We're sitting on the edge of our seat here, leaning into the will being read. We're just about, we're just about to come into our inheritance. Like so fast, we're just about to come into our inheritance. We give joyful thanks to the Father, says the man beaten with rods and stone. We give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We share together in the inheritance he's given us. It actually takes each other to help unpack and understand all that we have in Christ Jesus. Last one, go to another chapter one, which is 1 Peter chapter one. 1 Peter chapter one. Go to verse Four, if you would. A lot of talk about this. First Peter chapter one, starting verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much joy and happiness in what we've been given. So much that it actually supersedes the sorrow on this side. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your, of your faith like gold may, may be revealed. Jesus Christ himself is the fullness of the deity, Colossians says. The fullness of the Godhead is found in Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs together and our inheritance is something way greater than we've ever comprehended. We get a portion together of God himself. What a glorious reminder. What a glorious reminder. So we do not have to spend our time trying to find our way. We simply look to the way, Christ Jesus. The next step is Jesus in front of us. I've said this before, but the path that we walk on is his broken body. That's where we walk. Christ Jesus himself reveals himself. Even in those times when we get knotted up, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the next step is. What is Jesus doing right now? What's the next step right now? And I believe the Lord wants to reveal that more and more to us. You guys are crazy rich multi-billionaires, multi-trillionaires for eternity. Please think of yourself that way. Please think of yourself as having hit the everlasting jackpot, the eternal jackpot. As a believer, we've been given much, much to rejoice about. So what a great God we serve. So encouraged. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just reveal Jesus in us, through us, to us, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name that you would open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. 
Oh Lord, I pray that we would understand the gospel, the power of God. I pray, Lord, just for many to have their eyes open, Lord, because of people in this room and people who will be listening online, Lord, I'm asking for a people who overflow because they know Jesus, Scott. Help us to know Jesus. And I pray that from that place of abiding, Jesus, you would live through us in a powerful way. And Jesus, you would open blind eyes. Use us. I pray you turn many people from darkness to light, Lord Jesus. From the power of Satan to God. Release many who are held captive in their chains now in Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, I pray for an understanding of forgiveness of sins for people. I pray for an understanding of our great inheritance. I'm asking, Father, that we would have minds set on heavenly things.